African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. And a very good morning to you and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You are tuned to your channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Tumelo Zulu, standing in for Benjamin Mushatama. And we are currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31st meter band to Southern Africa. And on the program today, we take a look at police brutality and just how much police can exert force on civilians and criminals. We also pay, uh, pay special attention to the recent case that happened in South Africa, uh, in Krugerstorp, where we have seen uh, police shooting and killing a man who was armed, uh, who was at loggerheads with the police. But before we do that, let's get a news update with N. Musa. In the headlines, African Union head warns against migrant reception centers in Africa. The United Nations to vote on a resolution condemning violence in Burundi and an agreement on global flight tracking could prevent tragic loss of planes. I'm Anne Musa. Good morning to you. Head of the African Union, Nkosazana Zamini Zuma, has warned against setting up migrant reception centers in Africa. She says such facilities will become de facto detention centers, adding that women and children in particular would be in danger if held there. Her remarks came during a summit of European Union and African leaders in Malta. Klamini Zuma also hit out at some European countries that have taken a fortress approach to migration. The United Nations Security Council is set to vote on a resolution strongly condemning increasing killings, torture and human rights violations in Burundi. Top UN officials and human rights groups have urged action against what witnesses call a deadly government crackdown on opposition members. The draft resolution asks Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon to deploy a team to Burundi to work with the government, African Union and other partners to develop options to address political and security concerns. Meanwhile, U.S. President Barack Obama in a phone call with South African President Jacob Zuma has expressed deep concern about the situation in Burundi. The White House says Obama asked Zuma to continue to work with other regional actors to call for calm and press for a dialogue that can bring about a long-term solution to the crisis. About 240 people have been killed and tens of thousands have fled to neighboring states during months of violence that began when Burundi's President Pierre Nkurunziza decided in April to run for a third term. 
Animal conservation stakeholders are to meet in Harare, Zimbabwe today to discuss ramping up anti-poaching strategies. The meeting follows a spate of poaching incidents in the Hangwe National Park in the northwest of the country. Over the last two months, an estimated 60 elephants died as a result of cyanide poisoning, apparently at the hands of poachers. Shingai Nyoka reports. Industry stakeholders first met in August following the killing of famous lion Cecil. The alleged poaching of scores of elephants in the last few months have brought them together again. The stakeholders meeting is being convened by the Ministry of Environment. It wants to implement tougher measures to curb poaching in Hwange National Park. Among the measures, bringing in the army to protect the country's precious wildlife. Hunting is legal in Zimbabwe, but poaching is also rampant, worsened by a shortage of game rangers and a lack of funds. And finally, an agreement has been reached at the United Nations World Radio Communication Conference in Geneva on the allocation of radio frequency spectrum. This will allow the use of satellites for real-time global flight tracking in civil aviation, which could help prevent a repeat of the tragic loss of Malaysian Airlines flight MH370. Veronica Reeves reports. The agreement was made possible by the International Telecommunication Union, or ITU, which has allocated a new radio frequency band which will allow international flights to be tracked much more accurately wherever they fly around the world. Malaysian Airlines flight MH370 disappeared in March last year after tracking devices lost its position. No trace has been found of the 239 people on board. The hope is that the improved technology, which involves bouncing signals off satellites, will make it much easier to track the exact position of aircraft in real time, even when they are in remote locations. Recapping the top stories, African Union head warns against migrant reception centers in Africa, the United Nations to vote on resolution condemning violence in Burundi, and an agreement on global flight tracking could prevent tragic loss of planes. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa 
This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The program is African Dialogue, which comes to you Monday to Friday, uh, where we discuss current affairs and what is happening around the African continent and around the world. Remember, my name is Tumelo Zulu. I'm standing in for Benjamin Moshadama. I must say this is a, quite an interesting experience. My first time presenting African Dialogue. And, of course, we wish our presenter, Benjamin Moshadama, well, as he's not feeling that well today. Um, just a recap of what we're doing today. We are looking at police brutality. You would know that four police officers have been arrested in connection with the murder of suspected uh, of suspected criminal coup Lekan Mpanza in Krugerstop. There was a footage that showed Mpanza being shot in the chest by one of the police officers, and it was it was alleged to be it was alleged to have been an execution style killing. Mpanza, who was also armed with a gun that fell on his hand at the time, was killed while fleeing from the police who were responding to a robbery at the hardware store around the area. And just a few years ago, you'd also remember of Mido Masia, who was dragged behind a police van where he was uh, detained and later succumbed to his injuries. Now, the question that we ask this morning is, just how much force can the police apply on civilians and criminals? And maybe have the police lost the plot? Joining, joining me on the line, I have Dr. Johan Berger of the Institute of Security Studies. A very good morning and welcome to the show. Yes, good morning and thank you. Uh, Dr. Johan, maybe let's start by defining what is police brutality. Well, uh, I think the, the, the short definition of police brutality will be where the police act with unnecessary force. So I think that is the, the short definition. Keeping in mind that the law allows the police under certain circumstances to use force quite legitimately. For example, if they have reason to arrest somebody and that person uh, resists arrest, the police may use the necessary force which is uh, proportional in the circumstances to overcome the resistance and to then arrest that person. The, the law, and specifically Section 49 of the Criminal Procedure Act, goes even further and says that if, um, if the police, in the process of carrying out an arrest, um, faces a serious, a serious threat of bodily injury, uh, either to themselves or to someone uh, in the, in the uh, immediate vicinity, or if they, um, as, a, as a way of stopping a person who committed a crime of, of serious violence uh, from escaping, they can even use deadly force. But then, of course, you know, the law is very, very clear that there must be no other means of carrying out the arrest, and um, either at that time or later, and then, of course, uh, 
when, when there is um, resistance or direct threat, it must be of a very serious uh, nature. So, so there are circumstances where the law allows the police to use force. So police brutality would then be where they cross the boundary and uses force that is not necessary. I see. <clears throat> but what, what determines that actually this is brutality and this is uh, um, them applying their power within the confines of the law? Yeah, I mean, this is precisely that. I mean, if you look at the Medio Messia case as an example, mm. um, if the police had reason to arrest Mr. Masia, uh, they would have been entitled to use force to arrest him if he resisted uh, arrest. But the force that they were then entitled to use would have had to be both necessary and it would have been to be uh, proportional. So... I mean, you cannot do what they did to Mr. Masia and then mm. expect that to be legitimate force. Mm. For example, if they had to uh, use force to um, um, handcuff him, for example, and to place him in the back of that van, that would have been uh, quite legitimate. But they went beyond that by tying him to the back of that van and driving off uh, as some distance mm. uh, before they untied him again. In the process, he, he uh, uh, retained a number of uh, uh, injuries. And then after when they took him to the police station, the evidence shows that they, he also received further injury, injuries which contributed to his death. So clearly in that instance, the police used uh, more force than was necessary and therefore their actions were unlawful and amounted to, amounted to a, a criminal offence. And, you know, <clears throat> Dr. Johan, uh, look, uh, the South African Center of uh, the Study of Violence and Reconciliation actually uh, say um, the police brutality is, can actually be accounted to poor training and, and poor management in the police system. Do you, do you concur with that? Well, it's, it's, it may contribute. It may contribute uh, because it's, it's, in the end, a very complex situation. Keeping in mind that South Africa... Uh, generally is regarded as a very violent society. Not just our police that are violent. Um, you know, we as a society often uh, show tendencies to, to commit violence. We see this in instances of xenophobic violence. We see this with mob justice, with political violence. We see it in the way that we go about protest action, which often turns violent. Uh, so, so generally speaking, um, you know, one, one could say that South Africans tend to apply methods of violence uh, in order to achieve their objectives. So what the police are doing is both uh, the application of the same uh, uh, type of, of instrument, that is uh, violence, as well as the reaction to violence. Because there is, uh, and not that this justifies their actions, but it clearly places this in perspective that the police then see themselves as, as under threat. We have high levels of violent crime. Some of our criminal groups are heavily armed, submachine guns, and, and so on, and they are quite prepared to uh, engage in gun battles with the police, and they actually boast that they are better trained than, than the police in the use of firearms. Fantastic. I, I want to come back to that. Uh, I need to actually take a quick break now. Let's go for an ad break. I know we've been joined now by... Uh, 
our other studio guest, uh, Cesar Mele Kebekulu, who is the pe- president of POPRU, which is the Police and Prison Civil Rights Union, as well as uh, the president of SAPU, which is the South African Policing Union, but let's go for a quick break. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigikonyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And welcome back. You are still listening to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Dumelo Zulu, your host for the day. And we are talking police brutality. Just how much police, uh, uh, just how much force can the police uh, uh, exert on civilians and criminals? We are joined now in studio, like I said just before the break, we've got Sizamele uh, Kebekulu, who's the president of who's the president of uh, Pop Crew. And again, we have uh, Mr. Mpongkwinika, who's the president of the South African Policing Union. A very good morning to you, if it's still morning, or good afternoon. Afternoon, afternoon. Good afternoon. And your listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Now, uh, you just found us in conversation with uh, Dr. Johan Berger of the ISS. And I want us to define the term excessive reasonable force. Uh, maybe let's start with you, and uh, that is Kebekulu. Excessive reasonable force. I want to contextualize uh, it uh, to the provisions of uh, Criminal Procedure Act, which is the, 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 the law that regulates the operation of the police. Uh, excessive force, uh, in as far as Section 49, Subsection 2, means maximum force that you must apply as a police officer when you confront it with a, a threat to your life or somebody's life. That is what it, it says in a nutshell. And uh, you really use that force in, the, in your operation. And uh, after using that, you have to, after... Uh, meet certain requirements that uh, uh, you 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 have to explain before court that I've used this based on the following reasons as provided in the regula- in the re- regulatory fra- legal framework. But now let's look at the Midomasia situation, where the police have actually tracked this man behind a police van. Just how much force did they apply there? Was it reasonable? Uh, I do not think it was it was reasonable. Was there any threat it, on their uh, lives? I, I, I think that is the measure. Then going to reasonableness, I think uh, when you look at it, 
and uh, well it has been confirmed by the court before it went to court one did not trust what we saw because there are many things that fly around but after it was uh, it was uh, shown on on uh, i mean uh, the court have taken a decision it has been proven that the force was not reasonable that then uh, let's talk about now the impact of this brutality what does it do to the society doesn't it break the, the trust I mean, the community now looks at police and they fear the police. Hmm. Look, if it was then where society were sleeping outside, you know, at night without fear of being attacked by anyone, uh, societies moving around to shopping malls and do their groceries without them under, you know, fear of any attack from criminals, then we'll say that uh, this kind of excessive force uh, is unnecessary to be utilized. But South Africa is very abnormal. The way we are living today is completely, completely abnormal and it warrants that police officials at all times uh, uh, be ready as they are always being tested by these criminals who kills with impunity. Your, your, your sentiments there, uh, Dr. Johan Berger? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think, as I said, it's, it's, a, it's a complex uh, situation and, and I've already rationalized this in terms of the use of force by the police within this, uh, within this context of, of a very violent uh, society that, that in many ways um, places South Africa uh, uh, outside of the, the, the normal society that we, we normally see on television and, and so on. So when there's the expectation that our police uh, officers should always act professionally, that they should act within the uh, confines of the law, and, 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 and I think this is, this is the tension that exists. Um, with violence all over, as I said, mob justice, political violence, in protest action, and so on, uh, and then criminals, of course, who's bound by no law. You, 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 you have the police um, as law enforcement officers. They have to deal with all of this. They have to deal with mob justice. They have to deal with criminals. They have to deal with uh, uh, protest action. And we expect them to not simulate the kind of violence that they are exposed to, but to act professionally. This is why they are specially selected, specially trained, and they receive special equipment. It sets them apart from from the type of violence uh, or, or the violent conduct that they that they encounter. And I I agree with Mr. Konika here. You know, in the sense that it is sometimes very difficult to expect our police officers, because they have to be professional, to always um, act professionally when at every turn they are confronted by this this kind of violence. But so, I mean, you know, at the same time, we cannot have a situation where we condone the police acting out of the confines of the law, because then we will be moving uh, in the direction of a, of a not just an unlawful society and anarchy, but where we condone vigilante policing. And, and you know, so, so, so we have to, to, to find other solutions to the problem than to allow our police to uh, meet similar uh, types of violence that they, uh, than that they uh, encounter. 
I want us to look at, uh, again, uh, during the time of General Begitele, a, a team was uh, introduced, uh, the police, a tactical response team. I mean, they were so brutal. I mean, they were known to go around beating people. They inflicted fear before anything, before they even talked to you. They were, I mean, there were various complaints. I mean, how, how do we justify that? Well, if you, if you ask me, I, I think the problem there was the wrong utilization of these units. Keeping in mind, when Becky Kele established these units, uh, the idea was police officers at police stations were exposed in their soft-shell vehicles with their, um, just their ordinary training to um, react to situations where they encountered highly armed and well-trained uh, criminals robbing ATMs or uh, um, attacking ATM machines and so on, um, and, and other serious incidents. And, and often our police officers were either killed or wounded in the process. He then, in reaction to that, established these tactical response units and it would be their task then, because of the uh, specialized training and equipment to react to these incidents, which was absolutely the right thing. Unfortunately, uh, later on, police officers then started use, uh, using these units for search and, and, and uh, uh, seizure operations at clubs, social gatherings and stuff. Uh, this is precisely the kind of operation that they were not trained for and that was not part of the, uh, uh, the reason for setting them up. And I, so, so it was just a wrong application of a very good idea. And I want to come back to you, uh, Mr. Cizamele Kebekulu. Um, now that we're talking about the TRT, don't you think maybe the trust, and uh, I mean the trust by the civilians, by the community, on the police, talking about specifically the TRT, that then we became we we began to fear the police. I think we have to stop generalizing. I think I think we, and uh, we need I, we are not going to stop these these things if we generalize issues, because we are faced with specific problems. Let me tell you. I, on people that I met and people that have made statement in front of me, all of them have been saying crime is too high and we wish that Peggy Kale was still around. That is what they say. And uh, let's not generalize. Mm. Yes, let's not make general statement just because one person happened to access the radio or access the, the media and become the voice of everybody. People are tired of crime. And as they are tired of crime, majority of South Africans are suffering from crime. And this country is going down economically by by criminals. Mm. And it can't be about rights, about rights. And we must be, at some times, the South Africans say, where do we draw the line in dealing with crime? It can't be about rights from the left to the right. But yes, you're correct. In contextualizing the issue of brutality, Brutality of police won't help the situation. I agree. But let us not overreact and generalize issues based on mm. on, on, on rights. Mm. And I, I can further challenge the issue of right. Who has more right in this? Who, whose right is more than the other one? Mm. Who, I, want to, I want to challenge you on the basis of a criminal these days, mm. you see. You enter the studios of, of, of radio and television. They talk about rights, but they don't talk about the right of the same police officer that is, that is 
is faced by the situation. They don't mm. even interrogate the situation and whatever social environmental factors that are facing these people. So it is important that we balance our, 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 our discussion by saying brutality is wrong in as much as police killing is, as is wrong. Mm. I, I want to further, further demonstrate mm. my point mm-hmm. by this example. People will go to law, but it does not, law is not a, the Bible. Law is made by people and it can be changed. A police officer arrest somebody who committed rape and the person tomorrow appear in court with a lawyer provided by the state and the victim appear in front of the court with a with a police officer i'm talking about rights of a ordinary civilians whose right have been uh, have been tempered with and uh, the person who have got more right in court and services from government is the criminal some people will argue it within the confines of law but the reality is rights are of the criminals in this country are vaster than even of the society that we are we are policing having said that uh, uh, mr <coughs> uh, let's look at this could the police have handled the recent matches by students differently i mean there's been complaints that uh, probably the police used a little bit too much force uh, to disperse the students and all those specifically those who were in parliament the vet students here uh, just in, in johannesburg was that warranted was that fair was that uh, okay i think uh, we we have different matches across the country some matches were violent than others but uh, in some instances force that was used against the student was not all right was not right and uh, all of us we stand by the students we stand by the students for the right they were fighting for it was legitimate right you understand and uh, students were not criminals here we talk about criminals students were not criminals so there is no way that you can treat students like criminals do you agree that um, uh, while we all agreed that the cause that the student were fighting for was correct, but uh, bashing into an environment such as parliament as well, that uh, on its own is not all right? But Beco- at the same time, we parliament has a slogan that it's a parliament for the people, by the people. I think students are people as well. I think uh, b- there's a difference between people's going to parliament peacefully and wanting to attain certain things and in an orderly manner but uh, i don't think if you go there in a protest you know because you must remember this when you go to a certain institution the gathering act says once you're more than 15 and you are you want to go to a certain building you are not allowed 100 meters close to that environment that is the law but once you break that barrier you already have, in, uh, you have invaded the environment which you are not supposed to. So as a result of that, minimum force needs to be utilized to quell such kind of a situation. We're dealing with the law now here. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and we, we support the students. We support anyone that uh, get involved in the issues of uh, uh, demonstrations, they assemble, you, you, uh, you understand. But I think I will pause for now so that you can 
yeah. deal with your commission. On, 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 on that note, can I just take a break? But before we do that, can I say goodbye to uh, Dr. Johan Berger of the ISS? Uh, I understand he's got to yeah. attend a very important seminar there at the ISS. Thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you again when we have an issue that you. requires your knowledge. Let's go for a break. Thank you, and good luck. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And welcome back to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. The program today is African Dialogue. You remember, you can SMS us, you can SMS your views to plus two seven eight two two three three two five nine zero five. You can even uh, visit our Facebook page, uh, Channel Africa, or even follow us on Twitter at Channel Africa at Channel Africa, that's our Twitter handle. And we're discussing police brutality. In studio, we have Sizage Elektebekulu, uh, who's the president of Pop Crew. Pop Crew, of course, stands for the Police police, prisons, police and Prisons Civil Rights Union, as well as we have on studio Ondade Mpongwiniga, who's the president of SAPU, which is the South African Police Union. Uh, we are talking police brutality. Now, I want us to now talk about this. Um, some analysts are saying... Uh, police brutality is exacerbated by unrealistic expectations, which then enforce members of the police to do shortcuts. Do you support this assumption? Look, let me first deal with the issue of brutality. If we say it's police brutality, the brutality that is meted out against the police, what do we call it? What do we call that? It's police crime. of police is crime. So mm. is the crime that the police are committing against the two sets of society, right? You have got the law abiding citizenry. And you have got those people who doesn't care about the law. And we cannot we cannot expect the police officials to act the same way when they deal with law abiding citizenry and when they deal with people that breaks the law. And I think South Africans must accept this, that the current situation, the current situation which we all find ourselves in, it's mm. abnormal. It's a, it's a desperate situation which calls sometimes for desperate you know, responses. Mm. And then you ask the question, you said, um, 
the issue of brutality it's coming as a result of the shortcuts which the police uh you know are, 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 are doing are doing against the people mm. let me let me say this police have got the various segments mm. of force police you have got a normal force which you find at line service center mm-hmm. you have got the second layer of force which is referred to as crime prevention these are the people that you see every day around our, our societies then you have got the force that is carried by trts then from trts then you could intervention units and then even the task force right. It is. It depends on the commanders as to, uh, even public order policing, by the way. So it depends on the police officials who are in charge at that moment, who observes the situation and then make a sound judgment to say what kind of a force it's needed to deal with these issues. Mm. Shortcut, if we have got poor management, poor leadership in the police, there will be shortcuts. Remember, you have got, as a leader, being given variety of resources which is both human and even uh, physical materials mm. you must utilize those issues within the ambit of the law mm. if you tell your police officials to say stand by f- uh, and then you talk to people and says stay away and they don't go and then you says position yourself with guns and then the next minute you say shoot they will shoot mm. you understand so yes. it is the issue that happens within a specified period of an uh, of a time and even in viewers where that your sentiments no, i think my sentiments as uh, as 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 my brother say here i agree partly with him partly yeah i mm. agree partly with him you see you situation situations dictates you see it can't be just like people take shortcuts there are many incidents that have been conducted very peacefully it depends on both parties in the situation and uh, so comes again we can't generalize about everything mm. but i want to come back to the issue of students the one matter that was not was not is not being touched is vandalization which has become a culture not for only students but I think they copied from old people in mm. uh, in others. You know, what you call it. mm. It's mm. what we teach our through act, our actions teach our children how to deal with situations, mm. and uh, I think we have to condemn that in as much as how legitimate were their demands were, mm. and uh, and uh, and uh, the shortcuts and no shortcuts on uh, on activities depends on circumstances at that particular time. Okay. But uh, now I want to talk about this. Uh, <clears throat> at what stage can the police use live ammunition, stun grenades? Let's differentiate. I mean, at this particular time, police are allowed to leave to to use live ammunition. But in this incident, they were not allowed to. Let's talk about Marigana. Marigana, we know that live ammunition was used. Yes. But at what stage we say now, no, no, this was wrong. Uh, there was a threat to the police. No, no, they should have used this instead of that. If I may come in, look, you have got a systematic approach to each and every incident. Systematic approach. You have got a certain layer again of police officials that you have to put in front first. And that layer of police officials should be protected by another layer behind them, which carries a little bit more violent than the one that the front runners are carrying. And that is allowed by law. It is a system. It's, it's in a book. It's in a manual. You, can, you will find it even in other countries. It's not only in South Africa. But if you check, I, Marikana is a very sensitive matter. 
and uh, I don't want people to construe what I'm going to say as you know uh, being against uh, or anybody that is involved or attached to the emotions that have taken place there but what has happened there is that the police have closed the, uh, that environment with the barbed wire which is normal and then they then open and made an opening to allow everybody who wants to live to live through that that environment mm. but you would have seen the way things happen there if the police did not act there they would have been killed now that is where you saw the first layer of, of, of police officials who did not carry that lethal force moving out of that environment and those who were carrying lethal force using that lethal force. Because maybe the first line of defense failed. Yeah, yeah. You look, what, what would you do to a person who is carrying a dangerous weapon and who are coming in? Did you see those people? Did you see how they were approaching the police? They were at war. Mm. You understand? So that those people were in front. They were not meant to really, you know, use any kind of violence against anyone. But because violence was now being meted against them, they retreated and then the new set of police officers who, had, who carried more violence came forward. Now, uh, I, want to, I want to put it to you. Uh, <clears throat> there's now this saying that uh, there's underreporting in the rural areas. And we know that there is brutality, police brutality all over. Now we're seeing that there's very little reporting in the rural areas because of fear of victimization and all those from the police because the same police that we report are the same police we stay with in the community. What's your sentiments around that? Let me, uh, let me say, uh, I do not think uh, such a statement is true. I don't think that such a statement is true. But I think one have to say we are challenged in South Africa in as far as rural policing is concerned. The model, the model, every model have to be supported in terms of all sorts of resources. I think in as far as the rural policing is concerned, I think South African police services have not done very well. Mm-hmm. Their model of policing in the rural area has not has not been what call has not been uh, has not been a very successful model. Do you want to come in there? Yeah. Look, I went to Malamblele when it was burning. I went to Vuani when it was burning. I went to Ralele when it was burning. I have watched with dismay the way our policing were used in that environment. Enyala cannot be driven by one police officer. One police officer driving a Nyala, a Nyala that is supposed to be having at least six to eight people to assist uh, with, 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 uh, with, with, with the demonstrations that which were taking place there. We have seen one Nyala being burnt. We saw a cop running out, fleeing out of a burning, of a burning Nyala. But only to realize that the Nyala had, was only having one person. Let us look at the issue of, uh, of vehicles, the vehicles that we, 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 the police are utilizing in there. Do you know that police officers there had to utilize public transport at some stage because police vehicles did not have petrol? But our societies down there could not even report these things anyway. Mm. I'm saying this today so that people can see w- what kind of services the South African police service provides to people who are in rural areas and people who are in urban areas. And I think that must change. As, as we wrap up, uh, can I ask this question uh, to both of you, but let's start with you, uh, Mr. Mpong Um Can we safely say the police officers become law enforcers because they genuinely desire to protect and serve? What I know about policing, uh, when you join it, 
You did not join it because it is an employment. You joined it because it's an ovation. It is a calling. So people who are in this environment must and should be able to provide their services even in trying circumstances. I have been here for quite some time. I have survived a lot of incidents where I could have killed people if the opportunity so requires of me. But I didn't do that. So are many police officials whom we have here who have taken this as a calling and as an ovation. Mr. Mr. Klebekulu? Yes, I think uh, some have taken this as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a calling. But because of our economical challenges, a lot of people have joined the police for, as an employment. And uh, we are economically challenged. If the, uh, the South African police service happened to be an op- opening for me to provide my family, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it, some have used that as a, as a way of, of, of as an employment. But coming back to, 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 the, to, to the question that you were talking about is, is that... Uh, uh, rural policing. Rural policing is challenged in South Africa. W- uh, farmers that are dying, uh, as they die, as they are being killed in rural areas, we are exposed to all, all, all dangers. I think it is important for us or any person uh, uh, or the government in South Africa uh, to really do something in as far as infrastructure in, 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 in rural area is concerned because without correct infrastructure you can't police if there is no road there there is no policing we understand and uh, all services of government are unaccessible and it's important that uh, the rural development uh, is being accelerated at all time because it's not only policing service but all services of government well, there we go. Uh, that those were the closing sentiments by uh, Mr. Caesar Melekebekulu of Pop Crew. I would like to say thank you very much to him for joining us, and as well as uh, Mr. Mpongkwinika, who is with the South African Policing Union (SAPU), and as well as uh, Johan, Dr. Johan Berger, who joined us earlier on. Thank you so much. There's a call that uh, let us work with the police. Let us try to make South Africa safer. Let us make the jobs of the police much more easier. That's how we close today's show, uh, but let's go for our economics update with Wisani. Good morning. Striking South African Parliament staff say they remain resolute about their demands as staff affiliated to trade union Nehau protesting over performance bonuses and better working conditions. The union is demanding 5% of their annual package to be paid as performance bonuses while Parliament is offering 25 of their monthly salary. Union leaders and Parliament management have been locked in continuous meetings over the issues. Nihau's chairperson, Stembiso Dembe. We told them that we want, we want one thing as a union. We want them to pay the performance bonuses. We are not interested about where they find the money. Malawi and Mozambique are scheduled to finalize an oil pipeline project from the port of Beira in Mozambique to Nsanje district in the southern part of Malawi this month. 
with a fuel challenge. Economists claim Malawi will save 300 million US dollars it lost due to lower levels of production. George Mango reports from Blantyre. Malawi and Mozambique have entered into a partnership which will see the construction of an oil pipeline from Baira to Nsanje in Malawi. Once completed, Malawi hopes it will reduce the high cost of importing fuel into the landlocked southeastern African country. Currently, Lilongwe largely depends on Tanzania and Mozambican ports to export and import goods and services. The CEO of uh, Kenyan Airways, Mbu Vinguze, is starting to implement a turnaround plan following three and a half years of losses. The board approved uh, their plan to close the profit gap and are starting to execute. The airline hired consultants McKinsey and Seabury to help draw up a plan. Former VW Chief Executive Martin Venterkon has stepped down as chairperson of uh, luxury brand Audi. This amid an investigation of uh, two emissions scandals that occurred during his reign at Europe's largest carmaker. Spokesperson says uh, Venterkon quit his post at Audi after resigning as a CEO of family-owned Porsche SC which is VW's majority stakeholder last month. Venterkon was forced to resign as a Volkswagen Group CEO by the carmaker's influential labor leaders in the state of Lower Saxony, VW's number two shareholder, on September 23rd, which is five days after the company's rigging of diesel emissions tests. Finally, Namibia's consumer inflation has quickened to 3.4% year-on-year in October from 3.3% in September. The statistics office says inflation quickened on a month-on-month basis to 0.2% compared to 0.1% the previous month. That's our looking this hour. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. Thank you very much for that uh, econ update. Now let's cross over to the sports desk and hear what's happening in the sports field. Thanks for joining us in your sport. A reception worthy of heroes was accorded to players and officials of the Nigerian under-17 national team, the Golden Eagles, as they returned home on Wednesday following a successful campaign at the FIFA Under-17 World Cup in Chile. Channel Africa's Tony Uban was there and filed this report. On hand to receive the victorious boys and their officials were Director General of Sports of the Federal Ministry of Youth and Sports, Malam Al-Hassan Saleh Yakmut, NFF First Vice President Barata Shei Akewumi, NFF Second Vice President Mr. Shehudiko, Directors of the Federal Ministry of Youth and Sports, NFF Board Members Utumba Sunday, Dele Ajay Al-Haji Ahmed Yusuf Fresh, Honorable Suleiman Yaya Kwande, and Al-Haji Ahmed Kau, and NFF General Secretary Dr. Mohamed Sanusi. The entire nation is proud of you. You have done a great thing to bring honor to this country, and Mr. President is very delighted. I also wish to convey to you the joy of the new Honorable Minister of Youth and Sports, said Malam Yakmut. A cultural troupe entertained just outside the arrival hall and made it possible for several airport officials, travelers, and their fans to take photographs with the players and officials. 
And now back home, South African senior women's team Banyana Banyana will play either Mauritius or Botswana in the African Women's Championship qualifying draw for a place in the finals of the Cameroon later next year. The finals will be staged from the 19th of November to the 3rd of December with South Africa seeking to win their first African title after several near misses. Technical Director for Women's Football at the South African Football Association, Fran Hilton-Smith, welcomes the draw. Well, I think a very good draw. We played uh, Botswana on a number of occasions. Haven't played Mauritius. They had new kids on the block. So um, I'm pretty confident it'll be a, a tough game against Botswana, of course. But we hope to get through so we can qualify for now the 10th edition of the African Women Championships, which, yes, will be held in Cameroon in November, December next year. Um Always a very tough competition, but an exciting one. So we look forward to meeting the old foes again, like Equatorial Guinea, Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria, Ghana, uh, in that tournament. South Africa's Bafana Bafana forward, George Lebese, says that they have to win Friday's game as they carry the hopes and aspirations of millions of South Africans. Lebese and his Bafana compatriot held their first training session in, coach, in Scotching Heat in Benguela on Wednesday, having arrived in the Coastal City on Tuesday night. South Africa will face Angola in round two of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Russia qualifiers, and the clash will take place this Friday, 13th of November, at the Estadio Nationale de Ombaka, and the kickoff is at 4 p.m. Central African time. Here is George Levise. Yeah, we're ready. We're focused. Uh, looking forward to the game. We know what's expected from us. The country knows that uh, we can be able to do the job, so we just have to go out on the day and put in our best performance. And now in cricket, A.P. De Villiers make his 100th test appearance on Saturday, hoping to inspire his South African teammates to a series-level victory over India in the second test in Bangalore. The top-ranked tourists crashed to a 108-run defeat inside three days in the low-scoring first test in Mohali as they found the Indian spinners unplayable on a dry, dusty pitch. It was the fourth successive time in a test that had ended in three days on an Indian soil, but there could be some respite for the Proteus when they take to the field at the Chinamsni Stadium. All-rounder JP Dumin and fast bowler Monemokel are back in contention after missing the opener due to an injury. And in athletics, IOC President Thomas Bach has expressed shock and sadness at the scandal engulfing athletics, but says that the new IAAF chief Sebastian Koy will clean up the Russian Federation. This is uh, not a question of confidence uh, now. Uh, there, uh, IAAF uh, uh, has informed us uh, that uh, they will uh, take uh, the necessary measures, uh, that uh, there uh, will be, of course, uh, contacts uh, with uh, Russia. Uh, WADA, first of all, has uh, also to react. Uh, uh, WADA is uh, affected in two ways. Uh, it's about the anti-doping laboratory accredited by uh, WADA. And finally, in golf, Marshall Sim hopes to become the first player to win the consecutive BMW Masters title when the tournament begins in Shanghai this Thursday. The German returns to Lake Malaran Golf Club after adding coach Damian Taylor to his staff. He has only finished once in a top 10 this season, but thinks that it's not too late to kickstart his year. It's not my best seasons in my career this year, unfortunately. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to have a kickstart here and then you know, getting getting confidence back, and um, you know, for sure, gonna try to uh, to win this one. And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Well, that's how we wrap up this week's installment of African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, remember, I'm Tumelo Zula, was your host for today. Uh, we were talking about police brutality. Just my last comments that, um, you know, as much as we would want to picket and march and do all that, the police are appealing that let us do that peacefully, let us do it within the confines of the law so that we can be safe. Uh, remember, you can listen to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. You can follow us on Facebook, it's, it's, it's Channel Africa, and our Twitter handle is at Channel Africa, or you can alternatively SMS us on plus 27823325905. Before I before we close the show, in fact, let us give you a song by Margaret Singer and saying we are growing. Let's have a fantastic weekend and God bless.